0: Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast, forget the property celebrities, we speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello, everyone. Hello to the listeners in Hong Kong, in Spain, in Lebanon, in the USA, in Canada. Those listening at 4am, mm-hmm. I see you. Good, good. Keep it up. I don't know why you want to hear my voice that early in the morning, but hey, fair enough. This is a special Q&A episode. So we're not really talking about Dan's story. I mean, he does briefly touch on it in the beginning. We're talking about his experience and expertise and knowledge. So he's been in the building, construction, refurb, trade for more than 10 years so he's seen a lot he's been through a lot um, and he knows how to handle builders how to handle refurbs and he's answering all of your questions so we crowdsource the questions via Facebook so you know if you put a question up chances are it's in here and we've mentioned your name and given you a little shout out so I really hope this helps there's some really interesting tips he's given that make so much sense and seem really obvious but you know I reckon most of us don't do these things Um, but it's what will separate you from having a bad experience with a builder which you know potentially is inevitable at some point to having a a really really good experience so have a listen see what you think Um, this is part one part two will follow shortly afterwards if you haven't left a review please do and here we go Dan Hulbert welcome to the Test Talks podcast thank you for having me no problem at all. You know, I'm quite excited for this. This is the 1st QA Q&A special um, and I've got a a master builder, expert coach, property investor. I mean, the list goes on, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, for those people who, who don't know you and then this podcast is, is less about your story, but more about the knowledge and process and expertise that you have. Um, like, Tell us, you know, who are you?
1: So my background is of fifteen years practitioner experience uh, in the building industry. Uh, it started uh, helping my dad on a few flips, uh, but basically on the tools um, to now running my own projects for my own investments, uh, whether that's portfolio or development. Uh, so that's that's kind of like short, short and sweet uh, journey. But there's been a lot of in betweens. Uh, so started in maintenance um, as a as a contractor. Uh, after I was working doing a bit with my dad and then um I decided to go out on my own and set up my own building company. So it kind of you know grew from there really. So it was maintenance first, then working on kitchens, bathrooms and things like that. We did a lot of uh disabled adaptations for uh for for local councils, so wet rooms and door widenings for wheelchairs, etc. Uh and then I started working with private clients, doing their kitchens and bathrooms. And then I was like, "Well, okay, let's do some bigger stuff." So we started doing extensions, and you know, like the the sort of standard lean to, three meter extension, knock 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 it through, big open plan kitchen, etc. That's kind of what we did as a bread and butter uh, business. Um, and then we started doing a bit more bigger, um, maybe maybe incorporating the loft and the extension and a full refurb. Um, and I think the biggest value project I did for a domestic client was about three hundred and fifty thousand. Um like converting a, a this this bungalow um into a like a five bedroom house uh, which was lovely it was a beautiful beautiful property at the end. She spent a lot of money on the products really but um yeah it was really really nice. And in that time I just sort of you know my property education knew a little bit um on the tools with my dad when he was flipping back in two thousand four. And uh, I just decided to get myself educated. So I, as most people I think do now, is go online, see what's about. Uh, found that there was a few networking meetings in London and, and one in Kent in specific, specifically. Um, this was 2010, 11, something like that. Started learning about what's going on in the market uh talking to people that were there uh it was there's probably between 50 and 70 people there every single month so it was a really vibrant meeting but it was the only one of its kind in kent at the time uh kent property meet uh sorry kent property club it was called then um yeah loved it you know loved more so i started working with property investors sort of slightly changed my niche um and yeah Did about four or five HMO conversions for one particular investor in a year. Learned a lot about HMO conversions. Um, And then, yeah, I thought, well, I need to start doing this myself. Uh, Bought a few properties in in Sheffield area, uh, which I haven't got anymore. I got got rid of those. uh, But I would just buy to lets, And then um, HMOs, I got some in the Midlands, uh, in the Northwest, um, and now really I'm focusing on uh, the southeast, sort of southeast corridor. Uh, I still help others for HMOs down here to convert those, uh, sometimes package them up. But mainly my, my focus on property right now is is, is the development stuff, um, is developing uh, new builds really uh, from scratch, uh, whether that's get planning on it or, um, or something that's got planning and we can – Really look at how we can budget really well for it and procure the procure the properties uh, procure the material. Sorry, a lot cheaper. So yeah, it's kind of like an overall. But in that in that time, consultancy and coaching is has is, is, is come up and it, it's consultancy, but it's more mentoring really, um, specifically around how to work with the build side of property. You know, all the refurb's and the construction and budgeting. And I know we've got lots of questions around that today, which I'm um, you know, happy to answer because it's what it's all about. But I basically yeah mentor around that side, and then I coach because um, they're two different things. In, you know, the coaching and mentoring are totally different. Um, so coaching is more about accountability. It's more about the answers are within you. So I'm just trying to coax those out and get you to um, focus on the right things for you that work for you because everybody's different. So yeah, coaching uh, I love coaching. I'm absolutely. I'm, I'm in love with coaching people just I just I just love it it's just brilliant just working with people to m- help them move forward is, is fantastic it's a really good feeling so um yeah that's kind of that's where I'm at that's what I'm doing um yeah I'm enjoying life.
0: Wow love it and
1: I think you know by the sounds of it
0: you're the you're the perfect person to answer these questions right so um yeah, let's let's, so. <laughs> let's get first you know let's get into that that costing question now you know I've tried to sort of work it out myself i've asked my property investor friends i've you know it's all over the communities as something that seems a bit of a a dark art and the Uh. first question um comes from luke brindley and he says you know essentially how do you calculate build costs for a new build and then also how do you calculate build costs for conversion projects
1: so luke Calculating build costs for new builds and conversion projects. Um, obviously, there's slightly different uh, aspects to it. So, new builds, um, you know, people do have a rule of thumb for square meterage, uh, and it does depend on where you are in the country to what you can allow for. Uh, so, for example, down here, we've got a project right now that we've got going on that's going to be two houses. It's going to be a pair of semis, um, and our and our build costs for those are going to be a very high spec. Now, I'm allowing £2,000 a square metre. However, I know I'm going to get it well under that because what I look to do is procure the materials myself uh, within the SPV, so in the Special Purpose Vehicle Limited Company, for that particular development. And then I get the contractor to do all the labour or contractors to do all the labour. And those contractors won't charge me VAT because they're, on a new build, it's 0% VAT rated. But on the materials, you get charged 20%. But I'll set the SPV up as a VAT registered SPV. And I can claim that 20% back uh, through the company because I'm going to be selling them um, at the end. If I was keeping them, I couldn't do that. But as I'm going to sell them. So I can, there's lots of ways that I can save money. So I've allowed them. That's the Southeast Corridor, obviously £2,000. You could probably get it done a lot cheaper. Um, I know I'm working with a couple of guys that do things for around 1,500, um, but they completely manage it themselves. They uh, do a bit of the work themselves because they're in the, in the game. So, again, it, it does vary. Um, I know there's people doing stuff in the Midlands, for example, for around 1,200, um, and that goes for extensions as well. So I'll probably ask probably answer a couple of questions later. Um, and in the north, right up in the north i wouldn't know because i've never built anything up there so it's it's not something that i i would uh but it's not difficult to find out you know i mean with all the social media groups and uh um and just generally if you just went and asked a, a main contractor what wh- where, where they're at that's what that's what you should be doing so uh new builds like i say it can vary from anything from a thousand up to uh about two thousand depending on what you're doing
0: Okay. And then for conversion projects?
1: Yeah, so conversions, everybody's, you know, I want a roll of, you know, I want a, I want a square meterage price. We got to remember with a conversion or a refurbishment, whether it's a, a single to H, HMO or, you know, an office to resi, um, there's no real in my opinion there's no real square meterage price because it does vary. I mean, they are huge, you know, new build, you're The only real variable you've got is what's under the ground. You don't know what's under the ground. Um, So you could potentially, you know, you need contingencies for groundworks. Whereas once you get above the ground, um, you know how much your materials are going to be. You know how much your labour is going to be the only thing you might have variable costs in is if weather's really really bad and you can't be on site etc but you know there's there's obviously smaller smaller matters but you know there's variables there but with conversions there's variables in everything like it is it's it's very difficult to give a pinpoint um measurement but if like for example if we're talking HMOs um in Kent i think most people uh, are spending in is in the southeast corridor or sorry, north kent really is where it works for hmos um anywhere from 70 to 100k uh, to convert a five six bed hmo uh all on suite. midlands is not far off that i wouldn't say but you it's probably at, um more like 50 to 80k up there um and in the north it's not really my area of expertise, uh, the North for HMOs, but I would imagine uh, from what I've spoke to other people about and you know when we've looked into things, you're looking at about a similar price, so 50 to $70 uh, for a conversion. So big stuff, I office to resi, not my thing, not something I've ever looked at, not something I ever want to look at. Um, it's just not my cup of tea. Um, so I've never it's not something I can actually that's probably, probably the only thing I can't really give advice on because um, uh, it, it varies it does vary massively there's no set formula for, yeah and those know.
0: prices that you kind of gave for the Midlands yeah it's definitely what I'm hearing from from my network in the Midlands as well and I mean when it when it comes to you know doing these build costs you can ask builders obviously for quotes and things like that but is there a way that as an investor you can walk around a property, look at the pictures, look at the floor plan and say, okay, I estimate it's gonna cost this much. Is it something like getting a QS sheet and like ticking through the things you need and don't need, or or is it kind of a real big Excel spreadsheet job?
1: In regards to did you say for um, for
0: conversions, yeah.
1: Yeah. So you know there is there is a cookie cutter approach. What 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 a lot of people do, and I'm just gonna call people out on this because they wanna they want the real they want a really quick easy fix for this right and i've been doing this 15 years and i've been tweaking and my best practice and all that sort of stuff but there is a process to it um but you need to not be lazy in learning you need to go and learn how to do it you need to find out how you do it and then cookie cutter it and adapt it to what your strategy is and what materials you use you know timber plaster plasterboard um you know all the basic materials sand cement all those things, you're, you're going to need all those in a project. So what you need to be doing is going and procuring and understanding what those costs are. Things like your door finishes, your handles, your carpets, your tiles, your ensuite furniture, uh, i.e. sanitary ware, your kitchens, your bar, all that sort of stuff. That is preference to whatever your project is, where you are, your personal preference. But they're always going to be in there. Aren't they? You're always going to need, you know, not always going to need a kitchen. You might have a new kitchen, but you know, if you're doing a proper investment, you're generally going to be finding stuff that that needs work doing to it. But there's always going to be a kitchen. There's always going to be a bathroom. There's always going to be flooring. There's always going to be tiling. There's always going to be painting and decorating. There's always going to be plastering. Um, sometimes it's more. Sometimes it's less. But there's always going to be a certain element to it. So it's just breaking down those elements. Um, and then in your area, working with your build team, you might have to do a build, a refurb, and then find out. You know, obviously, uh, list. Um, it's not my strength to to do that sort of stuff. I'm not an analytical person. I'm not someone that that, that is facts and figures all the time. Do you see what I mean? But if you if, if you need to do that stuff to, to cookie-cutter your approach moving forward, so if you know HMOs, five a three-bed to a five-bed ensuite is your strategy, or a three to a six, or baby buy-to-lets, whatever your strategy is, there will be a cookie-cutter approach. The process is always the same. Now, HMOs to buy-to-lets, there's obviously a little bit more that you need to do with an HMO, um, you know, with better fire alarms etc 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 fireboarding all that sort of stuff but it's but it's all relevant to the strategy so you need to know what your strategy is you need to build your team first so you can start working with them and understanding costings um and again it goes into i have a 21 steps uh, system um which is broken down into three sections there's people preparation and procedure they're like the three main things that people, the reason why projects fail is because they're not, they've are not not got systems and processes in place for those three sections. So if you've never done a refer before, you've never done property before, you've maybe done a few bits at home domestically, um, you need to get yourself educated on how you do do a reefer because unfortunately, there's some great builders out there, but not all of them, are great business people and great communicators. They might be very good at what they do, but they're not necessarily the best at actually communicating that with a client. And that's where that's where the, the gap is, really, for me, um, is, is, is that. So you, in regards to the costings and budget and how to do it, that is the process. It's what's your strategy? You're always going to need the elements that I've already said so if you need to rewind go back and and, and, and listen to those but you're always going to need those then you could start breaking down your costs for each one and then understanding how much you know it's going to be to skim a plaster an entire house for example you'll you'll get to know the costs and it takes a bit of time um but that's how that's how it works really uh it you know it, it varies it does yeah. vary
0: no, I think that, I think that's a good answer because you know yeah, like you said, most people are looking for that easy way, and if, if there was an easy way, then you know happy days. But you know it is going to take a bit of time, a bit of kind of going out there, maybe kissing some frogs, speaking to different people, doing a lot of research. So that's the kind of real answer, I guess. Um, so
1: next question. But just Go just on. to jump in before you onto the next question, there, like property is very simple, in my opinion, uh, but it's not easy. So you need to understand the, the, the processes behind it, but don't be scared of those processes because there's been tons of people that have done it in in, in before you. So know that the processes work. You have just got to go and learn how to do them. That's all it is. Uh, but it is relatively simple, but it's just not easy. Um, and people think it's easy. That's the, that's that's the that's that's the mis uh, uh, the miscommunication sometimes with all the stuff going on on social media. Um, it's bloody hard work, but it's rewarding.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, wise words. So next question is by Ranjit Sira. He's actually been on the podcast. So everyone, if you haven't listened to it, you know, go back a few episodes and have a listen after this one. Um, so you've got two questions. So the first one is, what is a reasonable profit margin in the current market?
1: Uh, again, it depends on what you're looking at. Um, if you're doing flips and developments, I mean, personally, you should be always trying to trying to get twenty to twenty five percent personally, uh, because then you've got some wiggle room. Uh, we're always we're always we're always factoring in. Um, so every deal I've ever done has been with someone else's money. I've never done it any deal with my own money, right? So I'm always factoring in uh, finance. So, for example, um, you know, we're we're aiming for you know a net twenty percent. We'll try and push it at twenty five to see as a gross profit. But we've already got built in contingencies. So, for example, for finance, so if we're saying oh, like we need to borrow all the money at ten percent for the year, um, it's not going to be ten percent for the whole amount of money you need to borrow. It's going to be done in tranches. So you've got that built in contingency already. Does that make sense? So. For me, as a standard, you know 20 twenty five percent is kind of where it's at. Um, I think if you're trying to, if you're trying to make a deal work on any less than that, if anything shifts in the market or you have a problem, then you're going to have issues and then you will get you know you will get caught out. so yeah that's that's where I think it is. Um, and yeah, did you say there was a second question?
0: Yes, so he also said, would you ever overprice a job if you were really, really busy?
1: OK, so um, when I was contracting, uh, my, my values have always been, uh, I you know, because I, I believe, uh, I think most business people that are very successful believe that you bring your own values into your business. Um, and my values are always about being honest, being upfront, uh, being very transparent with what's going on. Um, and if I'm busy, I'm busy. And I would just say to the people, look, I, this is a definitely the sort of work I want to do. But unfortunately, if you want it done, you're going to have to wait till whenever. Unfortunately, in the building industry, at the level we're talking at, which is... Because generally, with a big commercial contract, i.e. new builds, you know, multiple units, you wouldn't really get this. It's more... That's the commercial side, in my opinion. So in the domestic side, it's a different story. Um... It's a feast or famine challenge. So sometimes uh, you know, they've got loads of people asking them to do the work, but they haven't got the capacity, so they hit a bottleneck. And you'll either see you'll either see them rise and grow or you'll see a decline and then, you know, lose interest and you know, things end up not going the way they're going and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the challenge is is yes, they think the easiest way to do it is overprice it so that they, you know, and then if they get it, it's a bonus. I just think that's unethical and it's not a good business. So for me, I would rather be up front and say, look, I'm too busy. And I've, that's how I've always been. You know, it's, I'm too busy. I've got a lot, a lot of work going. I'd love to work with you. But if you want to get it done, it's going to be six months time or whenever, you know. So no, I haven't. But yes, it does happen.
0: Okay. Well, absolutely. Honest answer.
1: That's all you'll get. That's all you'll get, Tej. Is honest answers. That's that's <laughs> what you're here for, Dan. That's why, that's
0: why I got you on, that you're the man for that. Um, next question is from Daniel Hennessy. He said, how would you address subsidence? Um, and if you just give everyone a quick explanation of what that is, um, and will it affect future mortgageability of a property and also perhaps the insurance of it as well?
1: Yeah. So, um, it's it's a fairly simple answer actually because subsidence is if whenever something happens to the ground that the building is on so that it affects the foundation. So normally it's either a tree, uh, the roots causing issues, um, or it could be a collapsed drain of some sort, and and uh, it's obviously seeping water out, which eventually washes away the dirt and um, makes it less compact. Um, what you've got to remember, a lot of buildings, uh, especially Victorian Edwardian-type buildings, weren't built on any concrete at all. They were built on what's called a spreader footing. So it's built on like a, almost like a pyramid, um, stepped up. Uh, so it spreads the weight, um, and that's just built on solid floor, solid ground. Uh, so, yeah, it wouldn't have had any concrete. So if you can imagine uh, a drain breaking, and the water seeping out, that's just going to wash away that dirt that's underneath that spreader footing so it will cause uh, the building to shift. Um, now, the 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 answer to the future mortgageability, etc., the fix is obviously you need to get someone that is uh, certified to do the underpinning. So that's where they go under, and they normally do a metre at a time. So they do one metre, lever meter one meter lever meter and that's a cube cubic meter um i dig underneath and they pour the pour the it depends on what they have to do but it's generally underpinning is pour the concrete underneath and then let that go off for a certain amount of time and then they they do the the bit that they've left in between they then dig that out and then pour concrete underneath and pin it all together basically um it it doesn't it as uh i mean one of my business partners is a chartered building surveyor and um, Rick Spalier. it doesn't it doesn't if it's done properly and it's certified it's actually more structurally sound now than it was before because it's got a concrete footing underneath it so um in regards to mortgageability, um as far as i'm concerned and as and i've I know this because I've spoken to building surveyors and stuff in the past. They don't seem to think it does affect it. If, if anything, it may, you know, you'll still get mortgages, basically, put it mm. that way.
0: And how do you work out the cost of fixing subsanus? Obviously, you need to speak to a specialist kind of engineer, I guess.
1: But... Yeah, it's not It's not really something that... The, the, the easy answer is go and speak to specialist uh, structural builders that, that deal with this stuff and you know, do the normal process where you go and get... Several quotes. Now, the easiest way to find them is phone structural engineers locally to you, um, and say, "Do you know any? Have you got anybody you can recommend um, that can do this type of work that is certified?" And that's that's the best way to do it. And then you can get some average prices across those those people. Um, But you do need something. You don't want to just get a Joe Bloggs builder to do it. It needs to be someone that is specialised in doing um, structural building work
0: okay good good answer cool and then um Caterina Maiolini said what guarantees can you offer and i think this is in the sense of for us as an investor using you as a as a builder or a contractor how can you guarantee to the investor that you know it will be finished by a certain date and a certain quality and you know everything that's sort of in the schedule of works will happen
1: yeah so in the, again in the commercial world you would do this under a contract and it would stipulate all this in a contract so timescales, scales uh, payment schedules um, finish who's responsible for each each thing so design um, and the build um, so but in a lot of these smaller projects it's very difficult for getting a contract to work under a JCT contract which is a joint contracts tribunal so it's an official, builder's contract um, or building contracts are under a, a minor works contract and with a lot of these smaller projects, people don't, well, they, one, they don't even know they, that they exist, um, two, a lot of the builders don't even know they exist um, and three, trying to get a builder to work under a contract because um, unfortunately... We have a bit of a scarcity about getting a good builder on board. So if they've agreed that they want to do the work, and you say, right, we've got to put a contract together, you people are scared that they won't want to do the work because they're under a contract. In my opinion, if they won't work under a contract, I wouldn't use them. And I'm talking from personal experience because one of uh, a few years back, a good few years back now never ever had any issues and uh, this one particular project um i had a lot of stuff going on um my wife and i were doing fertility treatment uh we were, I had way too much going on I, capacity was ridiculous um plus i was trying to do two flips on a property in the north and i had a build uh these builders do this job for me and they didn't do it properly and it caused structural issues um it ended up costing me eighty thousand pounds personally so it's um and and we weren't under contracts or anything and and long story short is uh 18 months of heartache and anxiety um and this is not to scare people this is just to say don't do what i did and not work under a contract (laughs) so um if you if you can especially with bigger i mean that was a about nearly two hundred thousand pounds worth of work, so it's ended up costing me eighty thousand pounds personally. Um, so anything you can do to mitigate your risk on, you know, if, you, if we're talking a small buy-to-lets, you know, in the north where you're spending five, 10, 15 maybe twenty grand refurbing, you know, a basic contract um, is really straightforward to put together. Uh, basically, putting down how much is the project going to cost you know it's hard to go into depth within this time period if i'm honest because there's a whole process to quoting and and detailing it and specking it out the reason why people builders don't quote properly is because you don't get you don't give them a detailed quote a spec so that you don't get a detailed quote back if that makes sense so because mm. everybody assumes that the builder knows what that you know quick whiz round, let's have a look at this property, give us a price. <laughs> and, <it's, laughs> and, that and you know, that's just uh, lazy. Uh, yeah. that, is, that is lazy. Um, so in regards to, you know, guarantees, you know, you'd normally get, be asking for a, a year guarantee after the work. Now on new builds, obviously there's, there's build warranties that you have to put in place to get mortgages and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, that's a different story. But on your refurbs and your HMOs and flips and, and buy to let um you should be asking for you know a year guarantee uh, for the work payment schedules should be set that there's all they're always um you're always in arrears uh, they're in arrears so they're working and then you pay them um because otherwise you know you're paying for something and they haven't done the work so uh, again there's a in the preparation side of it, things. So my people preparations procedure in the prep side of it, budgeting, specs, CDM, health and safety. That is uh, schedules and contracts. That's all within the preparation, and eighty percent is in the preparation, and twenty percent is in the procedure.
0: Mm. No, that's that. That makes absolute sense, and I think. Um, it's it's one of these things where it's like with any sort of business, you know. Really, you should have something legally binding on paper, in writing, with a signature, to make sure that you're protected. Because we've all heard the stories of builders running away and rogue traders and all that stuff. So, well, yeah. I've
1: dedicated several programs to it. Um, yeah, well, you know, and I've been I've been foul foul of it, and I've had to take responsibility, uh, which I would always do uh, for it, because I was the main contractor. Uh, but these guys. Uh, massively let me down and you know again this is not to scare you this is this is this is just to help you if you're in property you just you know you need to run it like it's a business. so you, yes you've got all the good times you want the cash flow, you want the profit, you want the capital that's all great and you know that is what we're all striving for but you have to have the systems and processes, the operations and, and mitigating your risk all the way through, especially if you're using other people's money
0: yeah absolutely solid advice there for you katarina next question is from james fairchild it's quite specific he says what is your considered view over internal insulation on solid wall terraces has one guy yeah. saying to do it another guy saying that it will cause issues and to leave it well alone what is what is internal insulation on solid wall terraces what does he mean by that as well
1: uh well what a lot of people do for example like a victorian edwardian there's solid solid wall construction so um Built out of normally out of like a, a, a stock uh, brick uh, with lime mortar, pl- um, lime mortar uh, it, to, to obviously build it. What the insulation is is normally, I mean, I've got it in my Victorian house and I've never had an issue with it. Um, so what it is is it's an, a thermal insulated backed plasterboard i think he's talking about uh so th- what's i call it board comes in different thicknesses now you use a foam to spray it on and you stick it to the existing wall that gives you a it's normally about twenties 20 to 20 20 to 30 mil insulation i think it is um on the back of just a normal plasterboard which is already stuck to so you fix that to the wall you make you make good you either skim it or um fill, fill the, the tape and joint it fill all the joints and then paint it and decorate it and what it does is it gives you uh, a layer of insulation effectively what some people say is that you're causing like um I mean, there's no ventilation you're causing you're causing uh, you know, it causing it to sweat behind and all that sort of stuff. Um, I've I've got it on in my house and I've never had an issue with it and it's been fitted for ten years and it's much better. Insulation values are going to be a huge thing for property. Um, obviously, it's already coming into effect about you know getting it to an EPC rated uh, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so for example, like on insulation, the same stuff that we're talking about there with the thermal board. So, in a loft, standard practice now to upgrade the insulation in a loft conversion that was done a while ago. Um, the standard procedure is to put uh, Kingspan or Celotex insulation in between the rafters, leaving a, a, a gap, a ventilation gap at the top. So, when you're looking at the rafter. The insulation is flush with the rafter, and then underneath that, so inside the room, you would then screw and fix the thermoboard to the underneath of the rafter, and then you'd plaster it. That's a standard, um, that's a standard approach uh, for, but that obviously leaves a ventilation gap to allow the airflow. Uh, what this one of the, these builders ones probably saying, "Look, it's fine, the insulates it." The other one saying, "There's no," you know, but. I don't know the exact answer, but I've fitted it quite a number of times in Victorian properties, and I haven't I haven't had any issues with it. So,
0: okay, cool. And then next one is from Scott Reed, and this is more of a personal one for you, Danny. He says, "How difficult did you find the transition from being on the tools to managing the ref- to then managing the refurbs and construction side of things? And when problems were presented, did you insist on getting your hands dirty to fix them because you'd kind of been doing that for so long before?"
1: So. Um, my original, like, just give you a quick transition here. So, my original background was in, is, was in um, operations in, in retail, logistics, and, and freight forwarding. So, that's where I originally originally started when I left school. Um, and I transitioned from that into the building industry, and then from the building industry, obviously, transitioning into the property stuff. So, w- when I first got what I call properly educated in property through training and education and paying for that education which i think if you want to do it properly you do need to go through some form of education uh personally that's what i believe um because you can leverage obviously the knowledge uh once you've done once you've got that knowledge i mean i was you know i, I did my first one was in sheffield um and i went up for four weekends on the trot uh, and did all the work um apart from the decorating and the installing the boiler but I, I rerun some of the electrics I and then got it signed off I fit the kitchen I fit the bathroom hung all the new doors and then mates my, my mate and and friends came up and we took them out for something to eat and we decorated it right so I did I mean I mean Sheffield for me is a 6 hour 7 hour round trip I did that for for four or five weekends or something on the trot and it absolutely killed me and I think we made £150 cash flow a month out <laughs> once, <laughs> once we refinanced re- it and I used uh, 15 grand of someone else's money to get into the deal um, so uh, in regards to the transition period of property build to property the building claim forced me to do it um, Because, and I think it was the universe, if you like, whatever you want to call it, telling me that I shouldn't be doing working with domestic clients anymore, and that I need to slow down and um, not take on so much. Um, So the transition was 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 not easy. It was very difficult. Um, But uh, if I if I did it again now, I would definitely work more on the tools at the beginning. Uh, So from an experience point of view, so a mentoring point of view, I would, if, uh, I mean, funny enough, one of my clients right now is a builder trying to get into property. Um, He's just trying to rejig his uh, business at the moment, but so I'm helping him with that. And then he's going to start getting, the the challenge is everybody wants to do it yesterday. And um, you can't, it doesn't work like that. So my advice to say to, to my client, for example, is right, Let's get let's get the systems and processes correct in your business. Let's keep working with the clients that you've got. Let's do one or two jobs at a time. Let's get the profit margins back up. Let's build the war chest for your business. Um, and in in the, and twenty percent of at the, the time, let's start looking at say small one to two bed flat conversions and get your, get dip your toe in. Let's start getting some um, you know or maybe a a little um, three-bedroom house flip or uh, you know refurbishment, and start doing that, and then then building that in. Because if you if you're if you're a builder already in that business, or you're a trade in that business, you'll understand obviously your costings etc. So start building those systems and processes into your business already. And don't get rid of the business because that's part of why you're getting into property, which is the most probably the mistake in my opinion, the mistake I made. Um, so if I did it again, which I'm doing through my client is that's how you should do it because you've got then you can utilize your experience you can actually pay yourself um in a job that's your job and not someone else's job so you can start building your confidence and building your um your part if you like still use other people's money wherever you can because it makes sense to leverage but that was the biggest thing i learned was learn to leverage so as soon as i start learning to leverage that's where things start getting better. So my developments I'm doing now. I don't do everything. People would probably, I think people generally assume that I'm going to be running the contracts. I'm going to be the contractor. I don't contract. I don't do a contracting. I haven't done contracting for five years, about um, well four years, sorry, and I'm not interested in going back to doing contracting. But I've got good people around me that I leverage, and we partner and work together on projects. So John's 40 years building severe and valuer. He knows how to put all the feasibilities and costings together. Bernie's an architectural and interior designer, um, so he and he work and he's worked with planning consultants and planning uh, councils and planning. Uh, departments for years uh, and 30 odd years so we work together but I know how to structure the deal I know how to cost, uh, do a better cost analysis against it and I know how to uh, raise private finance great little triangle so start working with people that have got different skill sets to you and leverage Um, that takes up about 10% of my time and we've got four or five different things in the pipeline at the moment are different stages but developments take longer it's not something that happens overnight so yeah transition was difficult but i know that there's a better way of doing it and that's what anybody that's in construction right now that wants to get into property that is something i can massively help them hugely okay cool direction
0: and then um, the next question, I think this, this comes from a, a builder because he says, um, does it offend you when people, so it's from Stephen Wilkinson, does it offend you when people always try to batter your price down to nothing, but they don't try and batter the mortgage broker, surveyor, architects, <laughs> etc. down, brackets, it annoyed me so much, I don't work in domestic sector anymore, close brackets.
1: Yeah, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, Stephen, you know, reach out to me, mate. It'd be interesting to see what you do. Uh, in regards to the, the domestic market, it's, that's a tough market because what, what you've got to remember is the psychology of the people. Um, it's an emotional purchase for a domestic client. So they're emotionally attached to it. Um, most of the domestic people that I've ever worked with normally don't have the budget, the right budget, for the project in the first place. Um, and that's where the, so you're off to a bad start straight away. So it comes down to basic basic business uh, planning and strategy is who is your target market and you know what's your ideal client. Look, you're not always going to get your hundred percent ideal because you just won't always have work. But if you've got some variables around that and understand you know who they are, what they look like what sort of budgets are you working to, what sort of projects do you want to be doing? Is it just extensions? Is it refurbs? Don't be a jack of all and try and do kitchens and bathrooms and extensions and conversions and loft conversions and uh, property invest- investors because everybody's got different needs. So with domestic market, it's um it's you gotta remember they're emotionally attached to it in the first place. And they're generally probably I'd say seventy percent of 80% of people don't have, don't know that they've got the right budget for the well not high enough budget for it in the first place and probably through bad advice from architects and things, uh, because they don't always know the prices if I'm honest, you know, some of them are brilliant and some of them, uh, but a lot of them don't really know how much things cost uh, in all honesty. Uh, so yeah, in, in regards to domestic market. Yeah. I mean, it, it it doesn't bug me because I just don't work with I, – when I was contracting, I was working I was working with the people that I wanted to – the sort of people that I wanted to work with. So I was looking for that sort of work, and I was trying to keep it at the time. So it was kitchens, bathrooms. That's what I was doing. That's all I was doing. So I was looking for people that wanted to do kitchen and bathroom up to a certain amount – I can't even remember what it was now – but up to a certain amount of money, um, and that's what that's – the, they're the sort of jobs that I did.
0: Hmm. No, that that makes sense for any business, right? You know, understand your why, understand your target market. Who who are the kind of people that you're going to work with? No, absolutely. And, and and kind of on that question, you know, when when people do sort of try and negotiate with you, do you see that as a normal part of business in your kind of line of work? Or do you kind of think, oh, this is so irritating.
1: Why is it happening again? Uh, what if people are trying to negotiate with me? Yeah, you
0: give them a price and they're like, yeah, can we do less, please? Can we do less? Can we do less?
1: Um, yeah i don't i it it really depends on what the project is because uh, obviously I, i'd be invested in it if, if i'm quoting for it and it'd be something that i'd want to do um the 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 thing with a domestic market and even even to property obviously property investors want to get things done as best price as possible um because obviously you return on investment um but in regards to if someone comes back to me and says that, um, I don't get offended by it because I just the, one of the biggest questions I asked um, and my, uh, I was a mentor years ago that told me to say this because uh, they've normally come back and say, look, you know, it's a bit higher than I want to pay, uh, but I like you, uh, I prefer you, and how you're, you know, that's normally what I'd get because um, I was always about middle of the road normally uh, for pricing. Um, and what you've got to remember is every contractor is going to be different prices in regards to, they're going to have different profits, they're going to have different ways of doing things, etc. But if some, yeah, I'd always say, they go, look, it's a bit higher or it's a bit more expensive. And I'd be like, compared to what?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And would be like, what do you mean? I was just like, well, what are you comparing my price to? And I would take time to sit down and, and go through and they're like well i don't really want to show i said well if you can't give me a comparison to what i'm pricing then how can i tell you if it's more expensive because i would allow for a lot more in my pricing Uh, so when builders quote it'd be for example tile bathroom well what does that mean (laughs) tiling is different like you know tiling is different in any way that you know if you're doing natural stone or ceramic you're going to get a different labor price to each one of those they'll, they'll charge like because natural stone takes more effort and time uh, and specialist cutting you don't need a specialist cutter to cut a ceramic tile you do with natural stone so um and these are all the things that you that, that clients will not be aware of but i will take time to explain that to them and say look this is why that is more expensive because you're going for that product. They've not allowed for that. They've just allowed for a fit, whereas we're allowing for fit adhesive grout and the beading. You supply the tiles because you know what you want, sort of thing. So again, it just depends. Um, I'd never get I'd never get angry about it. I'd just sit and have a conversation. It might everything gets solved in a conversation. Does that help? Yeah,
0: no, definitely. It's 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 one of those things it's always good to understand because some people are maybe too scared to negotiate if they feel the price is too high and some people just really always negotiate even if it's kind of a fair price. So it's good to know, you know, from your perspective how it kind of feels and how it comes across right because we're all human yeah. at the end of the day all got businesses and, and and profits to make um yeah
1: and it's and you know what your profit i mean if you if you're learning about business and you, you want to grow as a business you do need to understand what your profit what your profit margins are you know what your costs are how you're budgeting for things and you just need to explain that to the client uh, domestic clients are by far the most uh challenging to work with and, and it's just because it's emotional. that's an emotional purchase. That's all it is. And it's not because of them. It's there's no. It's not because of their personality or anything like that. It's just because they are so invested in it. And if you can be invested with that, um, then you know you've got a good relationship to build. But you know, it, take, it takes time. All that sort of stuff. So
0: yeah, absolutely. So. That was part one. Hope you enjoyed it. Tune in later this week for part two with Dan. It's another 45 minutes of him answering your questions. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.